Leonard Cohen suggested there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Okay. Hi, it's Mac Bogart. I am back again. Um, the bad penny that just keeps turning up. And I am here today with Colin Smith, whom I've never met. I have seen his picture and I have heard his voice. And we met through the Friendship Bench, which is part of the Biz Catalyst experience. And um, he, Colin runs an organization, I think, called Dexterity Solutions. Right. And does leadership stuff which is a large category but and uh, Collins claim to fame is um, that he listens artfully and in Collins bio which I try to read before I start this process Collins says it's an innate ability which I find very fascinating um, so if if Colin doesn't get to that I, I will bring him back. So um, take it away, my friend. Tell us how you got here. Thank you. Thank you, Mac. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, be here with you. And for me, I think if I was to sum it up, I would say something like that people are dying to be heard, literally and figuratively. Wow. And... When, you, when we sit with that, the, the idea that we're racing one direction with adding more technology into our lives, more screens, more isolation, more loneliness, then I'm seeking to go the other way. And how do I, through the work I do and the connections I make, improve the quality of listening that goes on between people? be that in the workplace, with our intimate relationships, and really with our children, because they're all just vital. The more we do it, the better we get, and the more we realize, as we learn to listen better, how poorly other people listen, or rather, don't listen. And I'm often greeted with a question which is, oh yeah, but isn't listening and hearing the same thing? Or I've got two ears. The reality is that's true, of course. We have two ears, one mouth. But we certainly don't uh, use them in that way, rather, you know, as in listening rather than, rather than speaking. And so I often ask that qu a question, which is, when was the last time you felt really heard? And so I may ask that question of you, uh, Mac. When was the last time you felt really heard? Um, this morning when I spoke with my wife, we have, uh, we have a, a pretty cool tendency to listen, listen first. And a couple of things you said, which gave me, you know, um, I call them head slaps. Okay. One was people are dying to be heard. And that's, I took as a metaphor, but I also see that as very tactile and very real, dying inside, dying emotionally. Yes. And two more things that whacked me. One was you said more screens. 
we have more screens. We do. We have a lot of screens, but screens are not people. Screens yeah. are screens. I mean, right? I mean, I am. I'm talking to a screen, right yep. and my screen talks to your screen, and your screen talks to you. Yep. Right. And that ain't the same, I think. And finally, um, which has been a theme in some of the work I do, you talk about isolation. And one of my favorite, though, scary things, because I work in um, alcohol and drug recovery, among other things, is that only an addict would see isolation as the cure for loneliness. Interesting. So one of the questions I want to ask you is, what is the attraction of isolation? Why do we go there and some of us stay there? What does it do for us, I guess? Yeah. My, my first thoughts is that it's about a safety. And it's, it, it's, it's, as I'm thinking about it, it's a weird, almost like a paradox. On the one hand, if I'm... Behind a screen, it can feel safer. Um, I've got nobody to interrupt. Um, I can also be who I want to be, particularly less so when we're face-to-face -face and seeing each other. But if it's texting to each other, um, so I'm texting away and I think, oh, maybe Mac wouldn't like that. That's not how I want to appear to Mac. So I'll, I'll change that. And we sit with this many multiple Multiple, multiple personas, so who is the real me? And in order to have, just take the example of the relationship you have with your wife, how do you do that from a screen? And how do you begin that from a screen? Because at some stage you've got to meet each other, I presume. <laughs> and, and who is the person that's gonna appear from behind the screen to meet? the other person from behind the screen and what happens when i say something and i notice that you're a bit shocked or offended by what i've said i can't tell you to not hear that it's already out now so when you're like that i i kind of i could freeze because i don't know how to deal with that because i might ghost as you would, we were talking about earlier if I don't like the conversation, I'll just ghost. And then we'll go on at some other stage, we'll reconnect or not. But you will never know why. And so at times, I think different people, um, if you're, a, let's say, not, it's not just to generalize, but if introvert people are more likely to seek isolation, I enjoy um, times on my own. But equally, I enjoy times with my partner or my children or or their, their family, my extended family, or friends. So I'm, personally, I'm kind of enjoying this, but also missing the face-to-face, -face, the tactile side of, of connecting in a coffee shop or, or walking somewhere. I'm not sure if that helps and gives you an insight to that, but uh, yeah. Thank you. One of the things that you talked or wrote about at your uh, profile on LinkedIn was disruptive dialogue. And I think part of what you said about isolation is that perhaps when we hide one way or another, 
with our screen, with our text, whatever. We protect ourselves, or at least we feel like we protect ourselves from discomfort and disruption. Yeah. Um, so maybe part of it, I'm not, I uh, try not to do single, single bullets for problems. I know what the answer is, but maybe part of the answer is that what's magnetic about that isolation is that it makes us feel protected. And if we're feeling protected, then it might feel safe. But is the other side of the story that the world is, in our minds, not safe? And that's why. And so a lot of organizations, I mean, I think it's a lady called Amy Cuddy, I think, or Amy Edmondson, who does a lot of work about psychological safety in organizations. Right. How do we create a safe organization, a safe space for people to show up fully? You know, so you're right. We've, we've never met. I've, been, I've seen your, you talk or been on, the, on that friendship bench, and that's it. But I'm coming here assuming this is a safe space for me to just be who I am. But if, if I've... Um, if I'm in a workplace where I know that the behavior of, let's say you're the CEO, if somebody says something that's not to his or her liking, that I'm going to be bullied or ridiculed or whatever, whatever, maybe I won't be so, forth, so forthcoming with my ideas because I'm operating from a place of fear rather than from a place of being vulnerable, open, willingness to... Uh, to bring my whole creativity to the workplace. And, and it's, it's also true at home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I work, um, I wrote a book about learning in schools and, and that's a part of my passion. Yeah. Boy, does that happen in the classroom. When I was younger and, and when I was a teacher, I was in the principal's office all the time. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was in more as a teacher than as a student, because I was always pushing to open up rather than yes. to close down. And that's been the story of my life and it's got me fired as well. Yeah. And what I'm, what I'm hearing here um, is, is a sort of a, a, a uh, causality between the behavior of listening, of really listening, you know, making my mind still rather than thinking I like, wow, his hair is pretty long. Oh, just like me. He can't get a haircut. Where did he get that shirt? Wow. I'm not, uh, those look like the kind of earphones you get with an iPhone, but they're black. Mine are white. I wonder where, you know, I mean, all that voice in the head crap going on. Yeah. That um, activity of paying real close attention may be the safety creator or 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 a huge safety creator it makes you we wonder because the reality is we never know what's going on in someone's mind right <clears throat> yeah and so we can how many times do we do we see people and it looks as though they're listening but we have a sense that they're not right and that they've They've gone, they've been distracted, something else has happened. And sometimes by just going quiet, 
you notice them returning and they might acknowledge that uh, they've, they've just returned sorry there was something you said it triggered this i've just just returned sorry but and that's about being honest and we're not very honest in that that respect and just picking up what you were saying there um we, we, we touched on the, the safety side of it and i've just completely lost my train of thought sorry <laughs> so yeah right i do it um, all the time yeah um we touched on the, the psychological safety. No, don't worry, don't worry. We're, so we're reconnect, as they say. It will be back. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, maybe part of, because uh, in, in the work I do, uh, which is part of the reason I really wanted to talk with you, I, I focus a lot on listening without judgment as, yeah. a, as a primary behavior for any of us who have the apparent power of leadership. I mean, I, I think everybody has that power, but if you're the CEO and I'm an administrative assistant, right? You have a lot more apparent power. So when I can exercise that without judging you, other than the necessary part of judging you, like that's a nice shirt, which is judgment. Yeah, <laughs> okay. agreed. That creates a context, I think, where our protective urge to withdraw, sort of, which doesn't, doesn't get triggered as much. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, you, we're in a position as a leader, and I do agree with you that we're all leaders in our own right, but a leader has the position of power and the position of authority, but wouldn't it be best to not have that so upfront? Everyone knows it, right? But why not be the, the, the CEO who comes around and introduces himself to, the, to his people where they are what about he does it more regularly so and he is interested in the people so he asks them for what what's what's going on and if he or she does it in a in a regularly you'll get more and more from your people and if you do it in a way where action is taken as a result of what they've heard that people are praised rather than singled out for ridicule or told, you know, you, if you get the situation where you've said something to the CEO, he says some, he then reports back to his, uh, the, somebody who works for him, who walks for him and so on, until eventually your manager says to you, why did you say that? You should, that's not the way it works. And you go, well, hang on, he's the CEO, he asked me. Yeah, I know that, but you don't do that. And you go, ah, right. And you, you stop. Oh, so, but yeah. And I, I know of that um, happening in an organization, a very large organization. And uh, yeah, he, he, he said to me, I'm not doing that again. So it becomes unsafe. Um, how many CEOs come in and say, hey, guys, we've got a problem. This is what I think the solution is. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, woe betide anyone who says something different and yet 
On the other hand, they want to employ people who are not like them, who will challenge them. But how do we create a scenario where it does change? And I was lucky enough to listen to a, he was either Virgin or, or British Airways pilot. And he said, I have to build a culture in two minutes. I thought this is interesting. So prior to the, in the briefing for the flight, here is a crew, which even though some of them will know each other, has never been in this exact configuration before. And he makes the point, if any of you sense, feel, hear, think that the safety of the plane, the passengers or the crew is going to be compromised, come and find me. And if for whatever reason I can't resolve that for you at that moment because of something I'm doing, I will get one of my um, people to take care of it. And he said, it doesn't matter what it is. If you feel it, that's enough. And anyone who does is greeted positively. So he will go and take action or have someone take action. And at the end of the flight in the, in the post briefing or debriefing, he will single them out and thank them for coming to him with a particular problem. And he will then share obviously what the results of it was. But people know really clearly what happens. So if you've got something, you know, that you think, oh, I'm not sure it is, maybe I won't, and it turns out to be a problem, yeah? And you take that into organizations, and we just don't want to do it. And it's, it's killing a lot of organizations. Um, it's killing a lot of people, at, yeah. least, at least spiritually mm -hmm. and emotionally, because, yeah. You know, at least in my experience, when we're afraid, <clears throat> our everything is damaged by that. Yeah. <clears throat> our our creativity, our willingness to take risks, our our, um, um, our focus on possibilities rather than survival. <laughs> yeah. And it, back to your scenario with the pilot of the airplane, because I worked as a yacht charter captain for a time. Okay. Yeah. So I was in charge of a boat with a bunch of people on it. And I usually had a crew and I had that same thing. I had to create an instant organization that would only last for a few hours or for a day. Um, but that leads me to a question. You were talking about how the pilot created that sense of safety and congruence, uh, sense of community. Okay. okay. That makes absolute sense to me. Nothing about that makes me go, oh, that was stupid. So then the question I, maybe we need to ask is then why doesn't everybody do it? What are they, where's the fear point for saying to my people, I'm here for you guys. There are no bad questions. I will never say that was stupid. Why did you bother me? And you know, why is that so um, institutionally flawed for so many people oh, yeah i think it's my my view on it is that it's a, a, a strong masculine trait that's been conditioned into us as in if you start behaving like that then that's a sign of weakness asking other people for their thinking what about your thinking you're the boss you make decisions here nobody else yeah and you know, you've got uh, in the US a company called Barry Weimiller, 
and the CEO is a guy called Bob Chapman. And it's his old thinking. He said, we've got a crisis of leadership for yeah. exactly that reason is we're not listening to our people and listening is a key trait for or characteristic for the success of their managers and their leaders. He said, I want you to behave at the office, how you behave at home and vice versa. Because the more you behave that way, the better it will be when you go home, your wife will talk to you more. You'll come back to the next day, um, wanting and willing to engage with the people that work with you or for you or above you. It's, it's, when you think about it, it's not rocket science. It is not rocket yeah. science. <laughs> but, but we're moving away, I think, from, I think more and more people are starting to get it, that this is the way, the way forward or the way, you know, how do we engage our people more? How do we get them to do things for us when we're not there? You know, and even more so through this uh, pandemic, we're having to trust our people. <gasps> trust our people goodness yeah but it's you know the more we trust the more people are trusting or can be trusted this what you're talking about as a sort of a, a stream as a movement uh, as a flow um about four months ago right before this all hit the fan i started going online much more okay um, all my work has always come through word of mouth. I thought I need to, if I'm going to, if I have a message, if it's a good message, I need to reach out to more people. Duh. If it's a bad message, I don't. So that was my, that was my first yeah. decision point. And what I started to see on LinkedIn in particular was more and more people who weren't just showing up to pitch a product. I saw more and more people yeah. like you who were showing up to say, here's an idea what do you think of this? Not just, you have to sign up now because it's only forty nine ninety five, and the price will go yep. up next week. I mean, I have to make a living too. Agreed. But yeah, that has been um, a very uplifting thing for me. And that brings me to two questions, which I want to ask you as we um, start to approach the ending. And we talked about the ending in the beginning, which is one of my favorite things to do. One is, I. I frame this crack, this blow up, this tsunami, however you, you know. First of all, we I think we created the place where it could reside. Okay. Second, okay. Secondly, given that it's here and that's not negotiable, how can we, you know, what you're talking about, about people starting to trust more, people starting to need connection more, how can we in this time move towards a better next time yet to come right because yeah. there's some there's some crappy things that human beings have been doing to each other which maybe we now have some leverage to at least ameliorate maybe not get rid of but at, at least change a little bit that's that's the first question but the second question is the kicker you have kids yeah that's what sure. i said um so the question is some someday down the line when you're no longer here to bother them but they're talking to their children or their grandchildren about 2020 and how grandpa or colin or dada or whatever they call you how he how he acted what would you like them to say 
about how Colin Smith dealt with this crap. So that'll be the final question. If you don't mind, it's a good yeah, one. That's, that's a great question. And for me, and it's been the same answer for a good few years, is it's about listening more and to really listen more. And I use the phrase, listen first. Listen always, always. And so be the first to listen, be the last to speak is another, another aspect of that. So if they remember me as the person who listens, that would be perfect, uh, both for my children and for people who know me. Um, it could be that I always, if they said, um, I, in his presence, I always felt heard, that would be good for my heart. Do you, because I think I do, um, I, I walk around, I can, I can walk around. We don't live in the city, so I, I, can, okay. I, can, I can walk around. And I have met my neighbors and I used to know only their cars. Okay, yeah. I saw them leave for work and I would yes. wait. But that, that was our connection. It's like you're talking about screens, right? Yes. I was connected through their cars, oh. not them. But now that we're all walking around, suddenly it's like when I was a kid, when we didn't used to lock our doors, it's this sense of like a little village. Yes. And it's such, and I can see it in their eyes too. Um, ben Zander, who's a, who's a mm -hmm. wonderful, okay. He, he talks about shining eyes. Right. And with all this bad stuff, and it is, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate. I can still make a living, you know, yeah. I, you know I, I'm a good health, all that kind of stuff. But I'm seeing more and more people who are glad to not be isolated and genuinely happy to see other human beings yeah. walking around who all pause. We're six feet away, but we pause. We don't yeah. walk by each other. Yeah. We, we stay and we engage and we, and that for me is just a smiler. So right. I'm wondering if there's some kind of a thread that can come out of this about community. Very much so. I'm, I think the point you make is, is exactly what I'm experiencing here. Um, so I'm in just outside of, I'm in London, but just not in the centre of London. And so I'm seeing more of the, the neighbours here that I, I wouldn't normally have seen. But I think it's interesting that it's very easy to get into a conversation with someone. It's very easy to suspend our own, I say it's easy, some will find it hard, is just make this about them. Make them at that moment the most important person in your life and ask them questions about the things they've said. Be interested, be curious about what they're going to say. Um, leave pauses, leave um, space for them to have a second, third or more um, streams of thought or thinking that comes through. And the more you do that, the deeper they will go, the more trusting they will be. And if they, um, you know, they say, well, look, you know, I've been talking a bit too much. What about you? And you 
So yeah, that's fine. But let me just, um, I'm happy to, to answer that, but what about a, something you said earlier and go back to that? I just got a couple of questions about that and then you can get them talking again. And it's interesting when, when you walk away, it might be 40 minutes later, you may not have said very much, but they will really like you. And I know you're not doing it to be liked, but they will feel lifted. Someone listened to my words. So I feel they, my words, and I matter. And how valuable a gift is that to give to someone? That you and your words matter. So I've seen and I've heard you. That's what opens my heart. I can see it in, in your face and in your eyes, and I can feel it in your, in your tone of voice. And what if this viral thing somehow embeds a kind of a new kind of social virus yeah. so that whatever happens next, there is, we are, we are, we are more, more connected. And I think that you're spot on <laughs> is that um, the act of listening intently is, 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 is how it's demonstrated most clearly. Yeah. And I, one thought that came to me this morning, funny enough, this morning is I can't listen to someone fully, deeply, unless I care about them. If I don't care, I'm just going to listen to the words I'm hearing. But if I really care, then I can actively listen. And you'll feel that I'm listening and feel that I'm caring. And there's a, there's a lovely phrase, um, David Ansberger, he said, that um, listening and love are so close a feeling that most people, when they're, when they're being heard and in love with someone, don't notice the difference. Thank you, Colin. And specifically, one of the things I've learned by doing the podcast is at some point in the conversation, the title of the podcast will magically appear. Okay. And... I don't have to push, and it just came. Um, I think I'm going to call it listening and love. Wow, beautiful. Thank you. All you got to do is wait, right? Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Um, at some point, maybe we'll actually get to meet face-to-face, -face, um, but yeah. it, it's okay for me if we don't because this is so rich. Absolutely. Absolutely. And... One of the things I've noticed is that when you do listen actively and deeply, empathically, all of those, you do get a feeling of the other person. So I think that a lot of the, the screen, people talk about Zoom fatigue. I know we've finished, but when we talk about, right. Zoom, when we talk about Zoom fatigue, it's because people are not being engaged enough. I can, I can talk, I say I could talk, I could talk and listen like this with you probably for another hour or two. Oh, yeah. You'd notice there, there would be a flow and it would, yep, it's time to end now. But really, the, uh, that, I don't get tired. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm tired because I've worked hard. 
but I don't get tired of listening to someone. I get more energized by it. And there was, oh, it was going back to what you'd said, and I got a bit mixed because I couldn't remember. And it was, you were talking about um, the work you're doing with drug, drugs and, um, and addictions. And one of the things I've learned is that by being vulnerable yourself, as in, uh, I have been a, an addict, I have whatever, or my mother, my father, my partner, my children, whatever, have been, have experienced it, will give will A, deepen that relationship, but also open that up further for them to, it gives them permission to be open themselves. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and, and, and that's, that's, that's a gift both ways. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and we started by talking about isolation and a fear. And you also mentioned the the uh, the man thing about being strong, being in charge, being decisive, you yeah. know, all that stuff. And maybe we'll start to understand that being vulnerable is fundamentally a sign of courage, not a sign of weakness. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Yeah, that'd be really good. <laughs> there's, um, there's a book you might like to look at uh, called Lost Connections. Okay. All right, he's, um, I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head, but he's also done a TED talk on it. But he talks about, he, he went through exactly that, that problem where he was being medically um, um, treated for, for his addictions mm -hmm. for a long, long time. And as he's got into it, he's realized actually that wasn't the best way. And so he talks about all the different ways we're being disconnected and then the second half of the book is how do we rebuild those connections very very easy reads like a uh, a mystery novel you know so there's a a journey in it and it's uh, so it's easy to read but very interesting it would be spot on for the work you're doing wow um yet yet another resource in connection yeah. and maybe 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 it's like losing weight, Colin, which is simple, but not easy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, maybe we, as we practice the behavior, the emotion will have permission to show up. Yeah. Rather than waiting to feel it before we do it, maybe we can just start doing it and then we'll start to feel it too. Yeah. Because I, I know that when um, a university did some, as a, as a project, they started, you know, free listening. Yep. Right. What they found is that the people who came to see them didn't talk about coursework or accommodation <laughs> or things like that. It was personal stuff. And interestingly, um, Google, a couple of things with Google, they've done a, done a project called, I think it was Aristotle might have been Aristotle, there's two projects, one which they investigated the, why their projects were successful over the last three or four years. Okay. Number one was psychological safety. And then the other one was a project that was kicked off within the organization itself, not by, or not by uh, Google. 
and people were wanting to find someone who would listen. So little by little, these people were identified and people just came to them and said, look, you know, have you got five minutes um, to listen? And sure, I'll listen. So they started to put a little blue mark on their lanyards or their, their um, IDs. So if you saw, if I saw that you had a blue mark, I could come and say, hey, Mac, uh, could, we, could we have five minutes to listen? And you and I would have a conversation. And this grew. And what was lovely is that the board or that the HR found out about it. And all they did was they put in some training, online training, to help people learn to listen better. That's it. And they didn't track it. They didn't, because Google will track everything. They didn't right. track who was doing the training, where these conversations were taking place, et cetera, et cetera. And it has created a shift in the way people feel and work because people are able to go somewhere and feel heard and feel valued about all sorts of different things. And it's also good for the listener, people who talk to you. So, yeah. It doesn't cost anything. No. And we all know how to do it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if, if, I was, if I was an elderly relative and I'm on what could be my deathbed and I said, Matt, can you come close? I want something to say. Oh, hang on a minute, Grandma. Um, I've got this message just come through. All right. You all know every word and feeling that she says. We know how to do it. We just choose not to. Take very, very good care of yourself. Yeah, I like um, you too, Mac. And, and uh, uh, We keep fighting the good fight, I guess, right? Yeah. There's, there's a role, I genuinely believe there's a role for elders like you and me. Not to change the youngsters, but to support them on their journey. Yes. Yes. Uh, people of our age, yeah. <laughs> of our experience, of our tempering, uh, however you want to frame it, um, in my experience, fall into two categories. One is people who say, oh, kids these days are so selfish and self-centered, and all they do is their thumbs and yam, 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 yam. And then there are people who say, wow, they've got a lot of creative energy, and they're very different from us. Yeah. So what can we do to help? I'm with you on that one. God forbid. <laughs> an absolute joy. Thank you, Mac. Pleasure. Take, take good care. I'll probably see you Thursday at the Friendship Bench. If not oh, that good. week, then another. Indeed. All right. Already, mate. Take All care. Right. Thanks again. Thanks right. for the opportunity. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.